Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. But there certainly is a lot of good content uh, here for us. And uh, the Apostle Paul writing, he says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced this graceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body uh, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so, Lord, we've sung, and now we pray that indeed you would, through the preaching of your word, show us Christ. May the light of your gospel shine in our hearts, enabling us, Lord, we pray, uh, to be strengthened in faith as we go forward in seeking to serve you. And so may your spirit work, Lord, through the preaching of your word in each of our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to introduce the message this morning by referring to one of uh, Spurgeon's uh, books called Lectures to My Students. So most pastors, Baptist pastors anyway, I know, like to read that particular book. Many lessons can be learned. And there's a statement I want to expand on in that particular, in one of those particular chapters, a particular comment that Spurgeon makes. And the expansion that I want to do is I want to add 
that the comment, the comment applies not only to ministers. It also applies to all believers who are ministering. We are all ministers of the gospel. So listen to this statement. Our work, whatever work you are doing, is it teaching a Bible study? Is it serving in hospitality? Is it mentoring someone? Is it uh, in the preaching? Is it in the praying? Whatever you do, our work, that's in the church, when earnestly undertaking, lays us open to attacks in the direction of discouragement. Isn't that true? He carries on. Who, this is the question, who can bear the weight of souls without sometimes sinking into the dust? That's what I want us to think about this morning. You see this letter that Paul writes, the second letter to the Corinthians, shows us something of Paul's heartache. It hasn't been an easy ministry for him. The heartache is there. Uh, so much concern weighed heavily upon him for what was going wrong, what had been going wrong in that particular local church. And also the resulting lingering relational damage that was still something of a reality. That which had come about in response to his apostolic ministry to that church. And so again, I'm going to ask a lot of questions this morning and to think through the passage. Can Paul bear the weight of the Corinthian believer's spiritual well-being? That's the issue, the concern, the issue on his mind. Can he do that without sinking, to use Spurgeon's words, into the dust? Now, we must acknowledge that even the Apostle Paul got discouraged. You get discouraged, I'm sure. I certainly get discouraged. But what we'll see from this chapter this morning, in spite of him being discouraged or getting discouraged, he does not give up. He perseveres. He continues. He does not throw in the towel. In fact, we see in this chapter that he's, he's resolute. He's absolutely determined to continue in ministry through to the very end. And so he's come to see, writing this letter, and of course we know he's led by the Spirit, uh, there are good reasons to keep going, to keep going. And we'll see later on, God willing, in a couple of weeks in chapter 5, where he has this attitude of, we are ambassadors for Christ, spite of the difficulties, through the difficulties, and uh, continuing to serve the Lord. So, what are those reasons. And there are five of them. So bear with me. I'm going to try and move through them quickly. But but I didn't want to chop the passage up because there's so much value in doing it together. Those reasons, uh, like Paul, all of God's ministering believers down through the ages, very first thing this morning I want you to think about is did you know that you possess something special? That to sink in a little bit this morning, to serve. Now we serve in everyday life. Uh, in all we do, 
as we scattered around the city, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking here in a general sense of serving in secular employment, in whatever you do in the home or in the workplace. We do so at different places, we do so at different levels, and we do so having different talents and skills. And, and I, I think I know most of you, and, and there, there's a broad variety of skill sitting even here this morning. I try to stick with the M's over here, but there are those who serve in management. There are those who serve in the area of, of music and, and that particular business. There are those who serve in medicine and some who serve in mathematics. We even have those among us. Uh, some who serve as mother in mothering. Some as mechanics. You, you get the idea? There's, there's a variety of ways in which you and I serve in a general sense of the word. But I want you to know something as a believer. There is something that you have, that you possess, that is exceptionally, extraordinarily special. We need to remember this. We need not to forget it. Notice the first verse of chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry. Having is a participle over there for those who are grammar uh, fundis. It, it, it's something that is ongoing. Having, having this ministry. You have a ministry as a believer that we had in the sermon last week described by Mark as the new covenant ministry. Earlier on in the book in chapter 3 verse 5, uh, he states over there that God has made us believers competent to be ministers. We Baptists believe in the priesthood of all believers Ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. And I want to elaborate a bit because what is this new covenant ministry? What does it look like? What does it produce? And you probably don't remember, but we did work through the book of Hebrews. And in chapter 8, the writer to the Hebrews elaborates on this new covenant ministry. And uh, quoting from the book of Ezekiel, and he tells us of what God promises to do through those who are involved in new covenant ministry. And I'll quote some of the verses from Hebrews chapter 8. And notice God's undertaking. He says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then a little bit later in verse 12, he says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. Now, in summary, how do I remember? Three eyes. New covenant ministry. The new covenant ministry is a ministry that has an outcome of inner transformation. This is not external religiosity. It's about the changing of hearts. People who have different inclinations after the intervention of God as a result of the gospel. So number one, I, in, inner transformation. The second one is an intimate relationship with God. That's what he promises. That's the outcome. That's the result of this, this new covenant ministry. And then thirdly, and to stay uh, true to my eyes, inner transformation, intimate relationship with God, you have immunity from the wrath of God. Now, do you see something of the significant nature of this ministry that we have, having this ministry? You possess something very special. 
But we, we need to see, and as we go back to this particular verse over here, <laughs> God gives it. It's not of your own doing. It's something that God has given, and, and he says, because we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Because we possess something special, and it's something special only because God has given it to us. God has lavished his love upon us, and he's given it to us as something we do not deserve and something we have not earned. So don't forget, you have something special. But secondly, from this passage, use what God has given you properly. I think almost anything in this world can be used properly or improperly. Immediately I thought of uh, our particular era and the technology that has developed social media. Now, social media is, 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 an, is an amazing technology, but I think every single person knows that this can be used properly and for good reasons, good purpose, or it can be used improperly, and there can be all sorts of negative outcomes. I just picked up a, a summary uh, Social media can be a great and useful tool if properly used, whereas an improper use of social media can lead to cyberbullying. Ask the teenagers and young adults about that. All sorts of that going on. Social anxiety, depression, and exposure to content that is harmful. Now, you get my point. In, in, in everything, I'm just using that as an illustration. There's the proper use. There's the improper use. And so similarly, Paul affirms here that he and the other apostles, have a look at the second verse, we have renounced this graceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. In other words, message to us, avoid the improper use of the word of God. There's a right way to use the word, and there's a wrong way to use the word. I, I was... Uh, uh, I follow different people, or I'd like to watch different people on uh, uh, pastors on on YouTube, and and one of the the uh, pastors I like to listen to is quite a controversial fellow by the name of Doug Wilson. He's a Presbyterian, uh, ministers in a place called Moscow, Idaho. Never, I don't even know where that is. But anyway, I, I, he had a clip this week. He was responding to something that had appeared on social media, and. It was a clip promoting gender fluidity. I think you all know what that means, okay? Uh, neither man nor woman or whatever, 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 okay? So, but, but what caught my attention is that he was responding to a, a creed that a particular church was publicizing. They were promoting it on social media. And a creed, of course, is one's statement uh, expressing what kind of faith you have and in who you have this faith. Do you know the Apostles' Creed? I think. Do you know the Nicene Creed? you know what this creed was called? The Sparkle Creed. Okay, so check it out on YouTube. See if you can, I hope you can't identify it. The Sparkle Creed. It starts like this. I believe in a non-binary God. There's a church. 
and, and this clip is of this pastorina uh, leading uh, a congregation. And I'm hearing them reciting this creed. Now, now my point is this. Efforts to accommodate godless lifestyles, efforts to develop feel-good deception in religion, or simply to be a people-pleaser will inevitably lead to the improper use of Scripture. You can do anything you like if you want to do it improperly. You can manipulate through devious scheming. You can be in emotional cajoling involved in that, or you can tamper with the Word of God itself. The Apostle Paul says, no, no, we will not do that. We refuse to do that. We will not duck and dive in and around the Bible. And then he goes on to make this statement. But by the open statement of the truth, the revelation of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, message to us, apply yourself to accurately pass on the revealed truth of God. Folk, we have a treasure. Let's go back to the last point. Having this ministry. We must speak boldly and plainly and forthrightly in all that God has given to us. Notice again, and I raised this a couple of weeks ago. Paul says here, we do this in the sight of God. God is our primary audience. Us always asking ourselves, this is the governing principle, whether God is pleased, not whether people primarily is pleased, whether God is pleased with what we are teaching and conveying to others. Later on, when the Apostle Paul is an older man, he writes to Timothy, the young pastor, for the, in the proper use of the revelation, this open statement of faith. And he says to him, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God, that's the ministry primarily, as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling the word of truth. Now, again, that prompts a question. Does the proper use of Scripture in the proclamation of that word result in ministry always being plain sailing? Will it always be received well? Will those who hear you uh, always pat you on the back as it were, eternally grateful for sharing this news or this message with you? And the answer is no. Which leads me to my next point. You will encounter evidence of Satan's activity. One of the hardest realities, and I confess, in Carol's passing, I have really gone through stages of struggling with this issue as well. Our materialistic focused area tempts us to believe that there's nothing else that exists because we can't see it. Isn't that true? We, we, we believe what we can see. And, and so, in the spiritual realm of existence, the questions that we could ask then is, is there really a spiritual realm 
here or out there somewhere where there is activity going on that, that affects you either positively or negatively? Is there a kingdom of darkness and light? Is there a devil? Is there Satan? Is there, are there demons? Are there, are there angels? Well, in this passage, in many places in the Bible, of course, we're told there's much we cannot see. But now I want to take a bit of a, a rabbit trail. Those of us who have been around perhaps uh, 50 years ago, ask yourself the question, what would you have responded like if somebody told you about Bluetooth technology? Or wireless internet capability. I think most of us would have said, what are you smoking? Would not believe it. We'd see that as science fiction. This morning, I've been, my, my cell phone's in my pocket and it's on silent. But while the service has been going on, I've had a number of vibrations on my chest. And I wonder how many of you have had that too. In this room, there's Bluetooth something going on. And there's wireless technology going on. And you can't see it. But my point is this. You cannot see it, but you can see what it does. Even the oldest among us, I think, know how to connect a Bluetooth device. Right? right? You know what it does. You know what it does. And so, so we need to see... Yes, you cannot see Satan. You cannot see this. Where is this uh, kingdom of darkness and, and, and this kingdom of light and, and angels and, and demons? And, but you can see some of what they and it is doing. That's what this passage shows us. They are real. They do exist. And we are given insight into this passage, into the negative responses of this activity to the new covenant ministry. I want to ask another question. Now, maybe you're not aware of this, but uh, in ministry, and particularly when one is doing ministry at uh, uh, funerals of people who are not professing believers, it's a very difficult thing for us preachers to do that. You know why? Because most people sitting in that context sit with an absolutely glazed, switched off. And yeah, we have a coffin. We're talking about death and, and we're talking about the end of life and we're talking about eternity and others are looking out the window and, and there's a total disinterest. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's, it's scary. And, and so why, why is that? Why is that? Why, why are there uh, these instances where people, not just at funerals, but perhaps you've tried to share the gospel with somebody, they have this cold, blank, disinterested response to the very remedy they need. The, 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 the gospel of the glory of Christ simply does not stir anything in them. Well, this passage tells us, verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, now here's the activity of the devil. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Can you see the serious condition of us people? Not only, not only do we suffer with a nature, sinful nature, that prefers created things rather than the creator, but the God of this world is busy dulling our minds, putting a veil over our eyes, keeping us from seeing that which we desperately need. Now again, that prompts a question. Does this activity of Satan, dulling the minds of unbelievers, mean there is no hope for those who are perishing? And the good news is, no. There is hope. There is hope. Which brings me to my next point. Number four. Have confidence in God who is greater. You see, now, sitting here this morning... I could say many of us, we now possess, I've showed you the special gift, this ministry. We possess this life in Christ. But there was a time. There was a time when you did not possess that life in Christ. Isn't that true? You remember that? Before conversion, after conversion, there was a time when you were too dull in your response to the light of the glory of Christ and His gospel. There was a time when the gospel was veiled to us, many of us who are believers. The God of this world had blinded our minds. But now, now, the point is the Apostle Paul, if we go to this passage, he too, there was a before and after. And after his experience, the encounter on, on the Damascus Road, the veil was lifted. For me, 1975, grade 11, Rosettenville Baptist Church, youth ministry. God changed my life. There was a before and there was an after. And I know that many of you here have stories to tell. You can remember the before, you can remember the after. So what was going on? What was going on? Well, what happened? Read verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The miracle of conversion. God's initiative. And look what, look at the, the analogy. God who has the power, the God who said, let there be light in the beginning, the God who created this magnificent universe by just speaking. Said, let there be light. It's the same all-powerful, merciful God who eradicates the dullness of mind, who opens our eyes to see, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And so, folk, I want to encourage you this morning, and I hope this message, remember the theme that repeated, let, uh, we, uh, therefore we should not be discouraged, we should not be discouraged. There is hope for the rebellious child. You're struggling with, with someone in your family and blind. There's hope. There's hope. You keep, you keep preaching the gospel to them in the appropriate way. There's hope for the, the stubborn teenager. I've tried to list out different categories. The arrogant young professional. The hardened, hardened middle-aged spouse. The all-powerful God can change their lives. 
unexpectedly in an instant. Let there be light. We can have hope that the perishing can change to have faith in Christ. As God does his merciful work, and, and, and there's, there's a tension here. As God does his sovereign, merciful work, and as we go about proclaiming divine sovereignty, human responsibility. Both and. Can't sit back. No, we have a job to do. Going about sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Well, the passage doesn't end there. I do have a fifth point, and I could have made another sermon of this, but I decided not to. We do not lose heart. And Paul says there's more. And it's my final point this morning. You are, I am, a frail instrument. This passage shows me, and I hope encourages us all, to love the fact that in God's economy, nothing is wasted. And I have two points that I want to make under that. Number one, that you are a frail instrument of usefulness. God works through our frailty, through our weakness, through our brokenness. None of that is wasted. And we're reminded of that in this passage. Notice what he says in verse 7. We have this treasure. This is the gospel treasure, the ministry we have, the new covenant ministry, in jars of clay to show us the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Why is that necessary? It is because we all have the tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We think we can build the kingdom. We think we can build the church. We think we can be the agent or the the, the reason for someone's... No, no. We need to see the reality and face the fact that we are weak and frail instruments, jaws of clay. One of the translators uh, of the Greek word, instead of jaws of clay, used the word earthenware, easily breakable. We, like Paul at times, verse 8, will feel afflicted in every way. And maybe some of you this morning may feel that. You feel afflicted. This has gone wrong. That hasn't gone according to plan. And this difficulty has arisen. arisen, And you're feeling like you're being overwhelmed, pushed into the dust. So we are, and notice he says there, we are. There's an inclusivity there, present reality. We are, and, and, and not only afflicted, perplexed, confused. Are you confused about life? I'm confused about life, I'm telling you. I don't know why my life has unfolded the way it has. Sometimes I'm so perplexed, I'm not sure. Lord, why this thing? We're perplexed, we're persecuted at times for our faith. We're struck down. Sometimes I felt some months ago, uh, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, you know, you, you're down and, and, and then like a dog, someone else kicks you. Eh? That's what Paul is saying. That at times you feel that. I felt that. And I know some of you feel that. And, and some of that, not even all of that, is enough, to use Spurgeon's words, to sink you in the dust. 
But don't miss the message. For the surpassing power of God, we're not overwhelmed. I'm still preaching. You're still here. You're not overwhelmed. You're not in despair. Not forsaken. Not destroyed. Yes, being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also be may, also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. You see, folk, weakness is not a bad thing in gospel ministry. It's a necessary thing. It forces us. It reminds us that we cannot rely on ourselves. We need God. You need God day by day. I need God day by day. He had said this earlier on in chapter 1 verse 8. This was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Much more can be said about this. I could say something about the adequacy of God's grace in varying situations as he describes them there. The sufficiency of God's grace, as Paul speaks of it in chapter 12. We'll get to that in months to come. My grace is sufficient for you. But the point is this. As a result of the surpassing power of God at work in us, we fragile jars of clay, we who properly use the treasure he's given us in the midst of our pain is not wasted. So last week, weekend before last, I was at Scottsville Baptist, my previous uh, pastorate. And uh, I bumped into a couple there. And uh, it was a very interesting couple because their kids had the same names as our kids. Carol used to work uh, very well in bringing in uh, moms from the school group. And uh, they expressed their condolences to me. And I said, yeah, I'm sad, you know, I'm sad for Carol's death. And uh, they responded, the lady, name is also Carol. Uh, she said, I want to tell you, it was because of Carol that we're still in the church here today. That was encouraging. You know, just to hear that, nothing is wasted in God's economy. We fragile jars of clay, when we properly use the treasure, the pain and the heartache is not wasted. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Fruit results. Not only are you a, fruit, a frail instrument of usefulness, but now there's some good news to end with. You are a frail instrument with an indescribable future. So I'm having to manage things like a kitchen at the moment. And uh, so my daughter, Jamie, uh, gave me a gift voucher for my birthday just a couple of weeks ago. And she said to me, Dad, I want you to go and buy a set of mugs. Because she had noticed that the mugs hanging in the cupboard are chipped and stained. And there's a whole bunch of variety there. Different sets. Go and get yourself one set of nice mugs. Well, I've got the voucher. I haven't bought the mugs yet. Okay. Okay. The point is, the point is that these mugs get chipped and stained and broken. You know the kids, 
They put them on the floor and then they get up and they kick them. And then they break. So here's my point. Fragile jars of clay, earthenware, is disposable. You have to replace them. You have to keep replacing them. Where does that leave us as fragile jars of clay? Well, the good news is faith in Christ makes us indisposable. If that's a good English word, I'm not sure. We're not disposable. We're indisposable. So Paul goes on in verse 13. It's quite a difficult uh, passage, but if you see the context, he actually is quoting here from Psalm 116. And in the psalm, we have David here describing a time where he was going through difficulty. He almost died. Verse 10, 8 to 10. And, and the response of David in that passage is he believed God. And, and, and God carried him through that particular period. And, and, and so he's expressing and affirming his faith in God. In fact, later on in that same psalm, there is that verse, uh, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of the saints. Interesting. Interesting that it's in that chapter. And the point that, that Paul is making for us to see in this passage is he's affirming his faith in God. And it's that which leads to him being indisposable as a fragile jar of clay. Going on to show that God has delivered him already up to now in different ministry challenges, enabling him to go on speaking the truth. And then he goes on. And he says, also, why well, God will deliver him in death. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith, is the affirmation of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe and we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And so for it is for all it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to God. Folk, you're an indisposable individual as a believer in the economy of God. Don't forget that. In life as he carries you through the difficulties and in death when he takes you to be with himself. Now I want to conclude with, with the two, two statements that perhaps would be helpful to remember. Indisposable because in life sustained. Have a look at verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Hey, Quint, you sent us a beautiful uh, clip to the elder group on this. I wish I could show that clip this morning. But it reminded me of when I was a Boy Scout. Many, many years ago, sitting around the campfire, the song that came into my mind is... Uh, you have a hole in your bucket. Anybody remember that song in Scouts? You, you have a hole in your bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. You have a hole in your bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. And then another scout would respond, well, fix it there, Henry. Well, fix it there. You remember that, some of you? Some of the young people don't know about Scouts. <laughs> Folks, you have a hole in your bucket. You need to be renewed day by day. And God will renew you day by day. But God has provided means of grace. And so you cannot, and this is what I learned from Quinton's clip that he sent to me, that sent to us this week. You cannot depend on last week's means of grace. 
sermon that you heard, or, or quiet time that you had, or, or prayer time that you experienced. Well, fix it, dear Henry. Come to church on Sunday. Well, fix it, dear Henry. Have your quiet time. God will fill your bucket. Plug the hole. But it will keep leaking until the end of this life. So my point is, this passage tells us we're not discouraged. We do not lose heart. In life we are sustained. And then a final comment. In death, prospects. Have a look at verse 17. Again, a sermon on this verse, an entire sermon. I can't do it. Uh, way over time. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now let me stop there. Paul is not making light of the pain and the difficulties that you go through and that I experience. But he is using comparative language. The point is, this thing that is weighing you down and pushing you into the dust, compared to that which you are going to inherit in heaven, is light. Because that is weighty. That is heavy. The weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look to the things that are, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And so folk, I simply conclude, my time is gone. Who of us can bear the weight of souls, of each other's concern, standing before God, without sometimes feeling like we want to sink into the dust? I don't think any of us. Who of us can bear the weight of hardship that comes during life and ministry? Thank God. For his surpassing power. But God who sustains and strengthens and keeps and gives grace and provides encouragement. All the while this is going on. Fragile jars of clay. An indescribable unseen future. An eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. All of this and more. Therefore we do not lose heart. And so, Lord, I pray to that end that your word would so enable us, Lord, to respond by your spirit in faith as David did, as Paul did, trusting you in the midst, Lord, of the struggles we face, in in the midst of, Lord, feeling like we are being crushed and overwhelmed. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the gospel, for Jesus, who has achieved this for us. And we give you the honor and glory. Praying for each other today. Lift us up. Build us up. We pray in the faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.